What's going on, everybody? Artist part of the ring, back with another apron bump and great googly moogly. Do we have a kooky one here for you guys today? We have a uh, special guest on the podcast today, the name of DJ Storms. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, hold on a second. DJ Storms. Um, <laughs> no, it's a really entertaining guest here. Um, if you're not aware of him, um, you can find him on YouTube at DJ Storms, also on Instagram, Twitter, all of that. Um, you can find him on Twitter at HistoryMakerDJS and on Instagram at the DJ Storms, Storms with an S. Um, and I'll put all of his information in the description of this podcast. But a very uh, so I'm pretty new to the uh, the podcasting community, the YouTube wrestling community, and uh, I stumbled upon this guy, and he really caught my attention just because he just had a unique presentation, right? We you know we in the wrestling podcast community, I see a lot of cookie cutter. I see a lot of people doing the same thing. And that, not that there's anything wrong with that, but personally what I'm drawn to and what I look for in guests is, uh, is people that bring a little something different to the table. Whether it's a niche that they're in, uh, their personality, their presentation, whatever it is. But DJ Storm's certainly a unique personality. If you go to his YouTube, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, very A very polarizing <laughs> figure. In the wrestling community, um, I see all the time people like retweeting him, quoting him, fuck this guy, this guy's a piece of shit, I hope he dies or whatever it is. And then I see that and I'm like, you know what, I should probably have him on the podcast. So <laughs> that's what I did. I reached out to him. Uh, it was a real pleasure working with him and going through this episode with him as a guest. A guest on the episode that is covering Judgment Day 2001. Man. Um, so full disclosure, I don't remember a goddamn second of this pay-per-view, <laughs> like for, from when I, from back then, obviously I remember it because I watched it a few days ago. Um, I'm not that brain dead, but Judgment Day 2001, I have zero recollection of watching this as a kid growing up. Um, and that made it kind of special because it was like watching it for the first time. Um, so in that way, kind of enhanced the uh the experience for me and i think dj storms was on the same same boat because i don't think he started watching until uh later in the 2000s but yeah so judgment day 2001 uh, occurred in may of 2001 from sacramento california we are still pretty fresh off the heels of wrestlemania 17 where we saw stone cold turn heel and uh thus brought in the two-man power trip with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, and Vince McMahon. Um, and we saw a backlash in my previous episode. Triple H and Stone Cold held the Intercontinental titles and the WWF title. Intercontinental title and the WWF title, respectively. And the Brothers of Destruction were the tag team champions. So at Backlash 2001, we saw the two of those teams go head-to-head in a winners-take-all match where Austin and Triple H won. So now they hold all the gold. So that's kind of what this show revolves around. Two main events being Triple H versus Kane in a chain match for the Intercontinental Championship and 
Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Undertaker in a no holds barred match for the WWF Championship. So that's basically what this show is centered around. But you also have things like Kurt Angle versus Benoit in their third match of this year on pay per view. Um, you have China versus Lita in a rare women's match from China. But you also see, you know, Perry Saturn wearing funny hats and Uncle Cracker singing X Factor to the ring and all that good stuff that you love to see in this era <laughs> of 2001. So with that, with our Judgment Day 2001 review, here is Hardest Part of the Ring and DJ Storms. So Judgment Day 2001. Uh, were, were you... I don't remember if we talked about this before, but were you watching during this time live? I was not. I did not start watching until July of 2008. I recently just surpassed my my 12th year as a wrestling fan in general. Oh, gotcha. Um, but I, I just rewatched the show, mm-hmm. and it was good. But realistically, it was like a three-match show. Yeah. The only three matches worth watching were Angle and Benoit – Kane and Triple H, and then Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I would agree. Yeah, there was a lot of weird booking on this match, but um, I'm sure we'll get into that. So might as well just dive right into it. So we got the opening match, Rikishi versus William Regal. What a barn burner. Um, It's like such, it's funny, it's such a departure from what we see nowadays in opening matches. You know, now we'll see like high work rate, you know, pretty, pretty decently long match that gets the crowd hot. But this era is more geared towards character work, you know, stuff that would get the crowd to pop pretty easily. You know, the back last 2001, the previous pay-per-view, yeah, yeah, the Dudleys out there doing all their shticks and the crowd ate it up. And kind of a similar thing here with Rikishi, you know, he's a newly turned face. You know, they, they tried the heel turn with him, with uh, him being the one that ran down Stone Cold and doing it for The Rock and all that bullshit. And it uh, didn't really work out. So they decided to say, fuck it. He's face again. Have him dance some more. The crowd seems to like that. So that, that was kind of a lot what we saw here. But as far as the match itself, I think I didn't put a stock clock onto it, but it couldn't have been longer than three minutes. Um, Regal is, uh, so the backstory here is basically Regal is the commissioner. And uh, he's kind of in the pocket of Vince McMahon, who, you know, all in conjunction with Stone Cold and Triple H, they have this whole power structure here. And uh, Rikishi was a part of that, but he didn't want to be a puppet. So he kind of uh, acted out against the commissioner. And uh, that's basically where we're at here. So match starts and pretty much right away, Rikishi hits the snake face on Regal. Uh, crowd loves it. Crowd is super hot for this match. Uh, Regal kind of gets out of the mat or gets out of the ring, regroups, um, gets right back in. And then literally like 15 seconds later, we see... <laughs> Rikishi hit the the turnbuckle with his shoulder. He goes he goes for a splash. Regal dodges it. Uh, Rikishi goes shoulder first into the turnbuckle, and then Regal hits the Regal cutter for the win. Like I said, super quick. Um, I don't know if they've just given up on Rikishi here or not, but it was uh, odd to see such a non competitive match here to start out. What do you think? This is quick, standard, nothing special whatsoever. Nothing pay per view worthy. Yeah. Um, to be quite honest, I really don't know why they even put this match on the pay-per-view mm-hmm. and to be quite, to be quite blunt, I 
do not like Rikishi's gimmick. I never, I never was a fan of Rikishi's gimmick. Mm-hmm. He's a decent wrestler, but I really do not want to see a grown man shake his ass in another man's face. Because to be quite honest, uh, that is an embarrassment to what pro wrestling really should be about. Well, I'm gonna t- if we're going to be quite honest, I'm, I'm going to just say this: you, you had to be there. You had to live through the time. This is a different era. People look for different things in wrestling. It was very character based kind of stuff that the crowd loved. I mean, if you watch this match, I mean, people went ape shit when he hit the stink face and stuff. So. No, I understand that. I understand that, and I don't mind it being character based. And I don't mind. I don't mind the the general it's a word that I'm looking for. The general demands for that time being showcased, but you know, I really don't want to see a grown man, a grown three hundred and fifteen pound man, shaking his ass in another man's face. Well, you know, teach their own. I guess. I guess we have different things in wrestling that we look for. But um, yeah, weird match, weird. Like like you said, surprised it was on the pay per view, but I guess they just wanted something to start the show. I guess that's the tone they were trying to set. But surprise, Regal won here, but nonetheless. Uh, so after that, very different match. We have Chris Benoit versus Kurt Angle, a uh, two out of three falls match. The first fall is pinfall only. The second fall is submission only. And the third, the third fall, if necessary, is a ladder match. So these guys have had a couple matches in the past few pay-per-views. Uh, WrestleMania had a one-on-one match where Benoit won. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Kurt won. Kurt Angle won. Uh, and then at Backlash, they had a 30-minute ultimate submission match. It was a really good match, which uh, Benoit ended up winning there. So this is kind of the rubber match. And for some reason... They decided to throw in a goofy storyline with these guys, which really wasn't needed, where uh, Benoit stole Kurt Angle's medals and he was just running away with it and having decoy medals that were like wrapped in cho- or that were chocolate wrapped in gold and Benoit hiding the medals in his tights and whatever. It was a lot of silly shit, but whatever the case may be, it, doesn't, it didn't really take from the match, in my opinion. Uh, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit always going to be magic in the ring. Um, so like I said, two out of three falls, Benoit gets a quick first fall when Kurt goes for the Benoit headbutt, but misses. And then Benoit hits him with the angle slam for the quick pinfall. This is like within the first minute it had to be. Um, but I kind of like that. It kind of establishes that falls can happen whenever, and it kind of has a sense of urgency to the match. Um, Second fall is a little better, is a little longer. A lot of uh, good counter wrestling, counter submissions. That's what these guys are known for. Uh, ultimately, Kurt Angle ends up getting the win with an angle slam followed by an ankle lock for the tap out. So brings it to 1 1, third fall ladder match. Uh, ladder match is pretty entertaining. Kind of quick, but still, they made a, they maximized their minutes as far as that goes. Um, a lot of crazy spots in this match. And then the finish so, um, is. When uh, Edge and Christian, who are friends of Kurt Angle's at this point, come out and fight Benoit on the outside. And as Benoit's trying to fight him off, Kurt Angle just climbs up the ladder and grabs the medals. Um, kind of a weird ending, but all in all, I thought this match is pretty good. What about you? Overall, um, despite the shortness of the ladder match, this match was very good. I mean, how can you not have a good match with Angle and Benoit? It's two of the best technical wrestlers that have ever graced the face of professional wrestling number one and number two the intensity of their offense is second to none love the intensity of kurt angle's german suplexes um benoit and angle 
very, very, very good in terms of map-based grappling, swift counters. And the ladder match itself, even though it was short for a third fall, I feel as though the submission match really kind of played into the strength of the two of them. And that really took up a chunk of the two out of three falls match. So the ladder match, I don't think it necessarily needed to go like 15 to 20 minutes as opposed to the length of time that it went. I believe it went about like seven, eight minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really need, it didn't really need to go that long, but what was done in the amount of time that the ladder match had, it got the job done. And all in all, this was very good. This was definitely pay-per-view worthy. Angle gets the win as he should. And Benoit, obviously he moved on to bigger and better things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think both guys looked really good in this match. Um, And yeah, the intensity, like you said, was really crucial in this match. I think both guys, they were really good at making it look like a struggle and not like a choreographed dance like a lot of people do. Um, So for that reason, I always love seeing these guys wrestle. Um, What we have after that? Oh, that's right. The hardcore title match. A triple threat match between Test, Big Show, and the champion, Rhino. Um, so Rhino and Raven had a match at the previous pay-per-view, which is probably one of my favorite matches of the whole year. So I had kind of high hopes for this match and it was, it was okay, but, um, decent, decent, nothing too, too special, but it was decent for what it was. Yeah. It's pretty much what you look for in a hardcore match. Um, some fighting backstage, uh, the crowd had a weird energy during this match. I think they were kind of, I don't know. A lot of the spots were kind of weird. It took a long time to set up, but. Whenever those false finishes came, the crowd was right there with them. Um, and ultimately, the finish comes with... So, there's a the steel, st- the steel stairs are set up in the middle of the ring. Big Show is getting up to his feet. Test is taken out. He's on the outside. Rhino has a trash can, and he throws the trash can at Big Show. Big Show catches it, and then Rhino runs up the stairs with a gore. It looked kind of silly, but I thought it was pretty cool. Um and Rhino ultimately gets the win there with that gore. Uh, I really like what Rhino is doing with the hardcore title at this time. You know, it's kind of always been a title that was relegated to, oh, hey, you guys aren't doing anything on the card. We'll throw you in the fucking hardcore title match. It's whatever. Um, But I think Rhino has been really entertaining um, in this era, and overall, I thought this match was pretty solid. What about you? Decent match. It was a little boring in the beginning stages, mainly because of the fact that I feel as though the backstage fighting aspect of pro wrestling, it only works with certain pro wrestlers. It only works for certain pro wrestlers, and it can only go on for a certain amount of time. There's a certain amount of time where after a while it just becomes repetitive and boring. Like We can go back and we can reference the last man standing match between Edge and Orton at WrestleMania night two earlier this year, Mm -hmm. where it really just became boring and repetitive and they were just slamming each other into the different walls of the rooms that they were in. It was not creative. It wasn't innovative. This started out a little boring in the beginning, but they did, they did pick it up. Uh, big show went off, off some, some, um, ledge through some wooden pallets. That was a nice spot there. Uh, props to the big show for taking that. I feel as though the ending would have been better if Big Show was standing on top of the steps rather Mm. than if Rhino pushed off of the steps. I feel as though the impact of Big Show getting gored off of the steps to the floor would have made the ending a little bit more believable, if you know what I'm saying. Because I believe, I believe, 
I believe Big Show kicked out of. Did Big Show kick out of a gore earlier in the match, or didn't he? He may. He might have. I'm not sure. I don't yeah, I, I took I took I took my notes, but I'm not sure if I have it written down. Yeah, I don't have it written down, but I feel as though it would have been a little bit more believable if Big Show got gored off of the steps. Mm-hmm. That way it would have um it would have been a little bit more intense. It would have been a little bit more climactic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, the yeah, the backstage stuff, it seemed like they were back there forever and they were like like you said, just doing nothing. Just kind of randomly slamming each other against the walls, and even that that ledge spot on the to the pallets, Big Show, it, it didn't really fall like off a ledge. He just kind of fell backwards, and the like the pallets were ground level, so it wasn't even like the, even the crowd reacted. They almost like laughed at it. Um, but yeah, solid match. Really can't really ask for much more in a hardcore title match. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got for that. Um, so what we got after that? The women's title match, China versus Lita. So we're a weird, weird era for women's wrestling. Um, I don't really remember this match at all, but I will say, you know, in comparison to other women's matches in this era, this match actually kind of felt like a big match to me. It felt like for once they were kind of being taken serious. The women were, um, even though it doesn't even come close to comparing to what we see today. Uh, this was two of the by far the most credible women on the roster that they had at the time. And um, like I said, yeah, it actually felt like a big deal. And it felt like they got some time to tell a story in there. Um, so yeah, China, they're, they're both kind of baby faces at this time. So there's a lot of sportsmanship at the beginning. Um, but then they both kind of get frustrated and it turns into a brawl. This match is a little clunky at times, but like I said, for the era, it was uh, far and beyond what you usually see from the women. Uh, China, who walks into the match as the champion, beats Lita and retains her title here. Um, yeah, other than the little wardrobe malfunction by China, I don't really have much else to say about this match. What about you? For the six minutes that it was, uh, I actually didn't notice the wardrobe malfunction. But I, uh, for the six minutes that it was, I actually thought this was a fairly decent match for six minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nothing but straight action. And for this time, especially with the women, you don't really expect six, seven minutes of straight action. And that's what these two women gave you. China, definitely one of the most intense female wrestlers that you could possibly have during that time. Lita's fantastic in her own right. Um, I love the I love the swiftness of uh, Lita's moves, especially when she delivers the Hurricane Rana. Mm-hmm. Uh, China ended up winning with the Powerbomb. Uh, fairly decent. Really nothing too, too special, but for the six, seven minutes that it was, I actually thought it was fairly good. And mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty much all, all I can say. Uh, just like you, I don't really remember it too much. It, it pretty much it pretty much, it pretty much, much was as, as short as the opening matchup. Matter of fact, if they would have put this matchup on in the beginning and just completely taken off Rikishi and William Regal, I don't think anyone would have complained. Yeah, no, I agree, especially considering how hot Lita is at this time. Uh, still pretty early in her career, but, you know, her association her association with the Hardy Boys, uh, everyone loves Lita. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much The only reason I noticed the war, wardrobe malfunction is because the crowd started started cheering randomly, and I guess, like, her top was starting to fall down or whatever. Fucking I'll have to... I'll have to- I'll have to, I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to rewatch that back. I didn't even know you were gonna say that, but I'll have to, I'll have to rewatch that back because I, I, I don't even remember it. I was, yeah, I was watching it. I was watching it, and I was just like, 
taking notes extensively. I, for those of you, for those of you who don't know, I actually took around about four pages of notes for for the show. Like I, I, I take I take this shit seriously. So I took extensive four page notes, and I probably had my head in my notebook writing writing shit down when that happened. So I'll have to go back and rewatch that That's professionalism right there. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do that sometimes, but I catch myself like I mean, like you said, just not really watching. So I try as best I can to watch the show and then kind of take notes after each match. But sometimes it's just like little shit here and there that I feel like I'd forget if I didn't note them down. But yeah, so after that, we have Triple H versus Kane for the Intercontinental title in a chain match. This match far uh, superseded my expectations for it. I wasn't really expecting much from these guys for whatever reason, but might have been my favorite match of the night. Um, First of all, Triple H is... This is one day before Triple H tears his quad. So this is like his last hurrah for a while, um, which is unfortunate because, man, the crowd was... I don't know if he's always this hot when he comes out for his entrance, but, man, the crowd was eating him up. Um, And it kind of plays into... We'll kind of get into it later with him and Stone Cold and what their plans were for the future. But I have a feeling a face turn was in Triple H's future not too long after this had he not torn his quad. But... um. Yeah, the match itself, uh, Triple H attacks Kane before the bell, before they can get chained up. So he kind of, that dastardly heel gets the advantage over Kane. Um, But then Kane ends up coming back, and his comeback is next level intense. Um, I loved Kane's intensity here. Really believable monster. Busts Triple H open. Um, But yeah, man, this match, super hard hitting. Both guys worked really hard. The ending comes when Kane choke slams Triple H. He has him dead. And then Stone Cold comes out to make the save. Uh, but Kane says, fuck you, Stone Cold, and pretty much deposits him out of the ring immediately. And then um, Triple H takes advantage of this, hits Kane with a low blow. And then as he's going for a pedigree, Stone Cold tries to hit Kane in the back of the head with a chair, but misses and hits Triple H. Stone Cold gets knocked out of the ring. Kane goes for the pin. One, two, three. New Intercontinental Champion is Kane. Crowd eats it up. Really good match, in my opinion. What are your thoughts? I'm actually with you. This match was probably my favorite match of the night. This, this is a great match overall. They actually did a lot with the chain, and they actually pulled out a lot of innovative offense uh, that pretty much revolved around the chain, which can't really be said in a lot of these types of matches. And originally, originally these types of matches, whether it be a strap match or a chain match, it usually it usually ends with the opponent touching all four corners. But apparently, they changed up the rules for this match specifically. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, I'm really not complaining. It honestly reminded me of the strap match that we saw from Brian and Wyatt at the Royal Rumble, which yeah. was a great which which is a great strap match in its own right. Probably probably my favorite match of that specific Rumble this year. And uh, I was actually very, very happy that Kane won. And I was actually, I actually did not know that this was before Triple H tore his quad. I, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's the little things like that that I tend to forget. And you said that he was probably set up for a babyface run, but hey, when he returned, you couldn't get any bigger of a babyface reaction than when he got when he returned in the Garden yeah. and. Dude, that place. I remember watching that. And I've I've rewatched a lot of classic material on the network. I watched that back and oh my God. I, I that that 
that pop rivaled when Brock Lesnar returned back in 2012. That was yeah. an excellent, excellent reaction. And he ended up going on to win the WWE Undisputed Championship at uh, WrestleMania 18, so he really couldn't have asked for anything more. But uh, this was a great match overall. Kane looked great. This was back when Kane could actually move. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be quite honest, after Kane won, this actually made me want to see Undertaker defeat Stone Cold later on. And I'm not just saying that because Undertaker is my favorite wrestler of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm with you. Um, yeah, you kind of got the feeling that maybe the Brothers of Destruction would retain those singles titles that they lost. Um, or I guess they didn't lose them, but they failed to win them at Backlash, the previous pay-per-view. Um, so it kind of set up some uncertainty for the main event, which I think was a good little tidbit there. Um, but yeah, that raw, the raw after this is that, um, that famous stone cold and triple H versus Benoit and Jericho. No, that's the only reason I know is because that's one of my favorite matches of all time. And going through these pay-per-views, I also watch all the raws and the SmackDown. So I'm pumped that I'm finally there and can watch that match. So, but yeah, unfortunate. Cause yeah, cause I guess we can kind of touch on it now. You know, they're kind of playing this pay-per-view. They're, they're like Stone Cold and Triple H have a little bit of friction, um, not working that well together. And I'm hesitant to say that they would have had a program together after this just because they literally just did that a few months prior to this. They had that, that three stages of hell match, like, what, three or four months previous to this. And they had a year-long rivalry before that with Stone Cold getting run down and Triple H being the the, the lead guy that put out that hit. So... I don't know if they would have gone right into Triple H versus Stone Cold again, but I guess if you flip the alignments, it might have uh, made for something fresh. Is that something you would no, have liked actually, to see? No, actually, I do believe that if Triple H never had torn his quad, I believe that we would have probably gotten this match for the undisputed WWF Championship, probably at SummerSlam of 2001. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, because it kind of seemed like they changed things on the fly. They kind of just replaced Triple H with Stone Cold or uh, Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. I think they had a triple threat match at the next pay per view, if I remember correctly. Um, That's pretty much that was pretty much the best route to go, considering that um, considering that uh, those two were the the two that took the tag team titles off of them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So that would have been good stuff. Um, but then you know the invasion happens in like a month or two, and then it's all nonsense from there. But um, so after that, we have the tag team turmoil match um honestly this match should have just been the last two teams um but i guess i'll just run through it quickly so the apa come out first followed by the radicals uh perry saturn and dean malenko so they're the first two teams to uh to go at it and this match by the way is the winner gets the uh number one contendership for the uh tag team titles so APA and Radicals go at it. Really, really ugly stuff. Um, I, I tweeted as I was watching this show that the APA were fucking bad in ring during this era. Um, just really, like I said, ugly. Really, it, it felt like this match was just like a bunch of uh, Irish whips and then shoulder blocks. At least as when, when the APA was in it. Very, very um, standard. Nothing special at all. The rapid yeah. fire eliminations in itself really brought this match down as a whole. If we would have just gotten Edge and Christian versus Benoit and Jericho for like 13, 14, 15 minutes, this would have that would have probably been would have probably been one of the major highlights of the show. And it definitely would have brought the show up a bit because it, it was a decent pay-per-view. But realistically, it was just a three match show. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I guess I don't know this. Maybe just want to get a bunch of teams on the card, whatever the case may be. 
That's um, WWE getting everyone on the card. Not everyone <laughs> is pay-per-view worthy. Nope, nope. And you can definitely see that in this match. So the Radicals get eliminated pretty quickly by the APA. Um, then the Dudleys come out. More side note. Rolling. Side note. Um, yeah. Perry Saturn. Probably the only the only thing that I know about Perry Saturn isn't because of Perry Saturn. It's because of the Rock and the promo that he cut on Perry Saturn, where he says the Rock knows that you got one eye going that way and another <laughs> eye that goes that way. Well, he hopes that the eye going that way is watching the Rock's hand going that way, so he'll slap that crooked eye straight. That's the only thing that I know about Perry Saturn, and it's not even because of Perry Saturn. You don't even know him from Moppy. No. Do you, do you know about Moppy? Nope. Oh, oh, actually, no, no. Actually, I do know about Moppy. I do know about Moppy. But <laughs> that's, um, uh, that's yeah. not what I know him from. That's not what I know him from. Moppy was the second thing that I know about Perry Saturn. Man, I'm sure Perry is glad to know that his legacy is a line from The Rock and him having a relationship with a mop. I'm sure he God, loves that. It, must, it must be great to be, Par- to be Perry Saturn. Yeah. yeah. One eye going going left, one eye going right, and you're engaged to a mop. Exactly. Which is, I mean, he kind of had a good look, or at least a unique look. Um, maybe he's just too short. I don't know. Um, I mean, like I would like to have muscles like him. Don't get me wrong. I wish I had the motivation to get in that good of shape, but yeah, yeah he's, uh, he didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, what was after that? So Dudley's come in, ugly brawling tables come out. And then, uh, as Devon sets the table up on the outside, the, uh, the Hollies come out and hit Devon with the Alabama slam through the table. Bubba's distracted. He turns around and gets hit with a clothesline from hell. Dudleys are eliminated. Um, X-Factor comes out next. Um, just, you know, a lot of nothingness in this match. It's APA. Like I said, just a lot of Irish whips, a lot of shoulder blocks. A lot of nothing until uh, Brad Bradshaw goes for a follow-away slam. Um, but then Albert, who is on the outside, trips him up and holds his feet down as, I believe it's X-Pac, pins Bradshaw eliminates the APA from this match. Um, then out come the Hardys. And this match is actually pretty solid. Um, ultimately, Jeff hits a swanton on uh, on X-Pac. Uh, Matt goes for the cover. Matt Hardy does. Albert pulls Matt Hardy out of the ring. And then uh, inside the ring, Just Incredible hits Jeff Hardy with a super kick for the win. Hardys are eliminated. X-Factor still in. And then out comes Jericho and his mystery partner, Chris Benoit. So they, um, both of them take out Albert cause he's been the, the focal point of the match. As far as X factor goes, he's been the reason that they've been beating all these guys. Um, with Albert taken out, they're able to, uh, catch X Pac and just incredible. And they're both of their respective submissions, the, the walls of Jericho, the crippler cross face, and both of the, both of the, uh, X factor guys tap, they're eliminated. And then out comes edge and Christian. And as you said, this really is what the match just should have been. It should have been Edge and Christian versus uh, the other Canadians. So the Chris's, yeah, exactly. So uh, and it kind of plays. I kind of like the storytelling here because Edge and Christian cost Benoit the match earlier. So Benoit's out here for revenge and is looking to cost them a chance at the tag titles. That is um, something I can appreciate. So I will give him credit there. Yeah, but that that really was the only was the only decent thing that this match had. Other than that, it was it was very, very lackluster outside of the last two teams. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, but yeah, ultimately, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit end up getting the win when uh, Benoit cross-faces Christian for the win. Um, so yeah, pretty much just sets up the Raw after this, as we've uh, kind of already gone over. So um, 
And with that brings us to the main event. Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. No holds barred match for the WWF title. Uh, this match was a very it was a very attitude era style match. A lot of uh, a lot of brawling on the outside, fighting through the crowd, all that. Um, I did. It was interesting to me because with Stone Cold and his heel turn, it was kind of a flop at first because, I mean, first of all, he turns heel in his hometown. So everybody's cheering the fuck out of him. And then, you know, the few weeks later. And he later, shook hands with Vince, too, and they still cheered him. Dude, everybody loves Stone Cold in this era, no matter what he does. They had that's, to, probably the be- that's probably the best thing about being Stone Cold is that no matter what you do, you're mm-hmm. going to get cheered. Exactly. And, I mean, it paid off most of his career. Um, but, you know, they had him, you know, in weeks and months building up to this. He beats the shit out of JR. He, he fucking wallops Lita with a chair. Um, have you Have you seen that? I believe I have. I haven't seen it in a while, though, so I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it whenever I get the opportunity. But this this version of Stone Cold, I wasn't I wasn't really sold on it, considering that he was in a partnership with Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. But but I actually think that this match with The Undertaker, they actually did a very good job. And me, I personally love the American Badass, the American Badass version of The Undertaker. Very 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 underrated and mm-hmm. when he was under the american badass character i'm not sure i'm not sure if you feel the same way but under the american badass character the undertaker himself probably cut some of the best promos of his career oh yeah for sure I, he, him him and kane are both very underrated talkers in my opinion kane at this point probably wasn't the talker that he would end up being um, but I think both guys had their uh, had their periods of being really good on the mic. And I think, yeah, like you said, very underappreciated. Um, and I'm with you. American Badass Undertaker, especially like this era, American Badass was fucking awesome. Um, but I think I think Taker, he was just good at evolving. You know, everybody loved his character when he debuted and all the iterations of it. And then um, once it was kind of getting stale, you know, he took on this American Badass character did that for a few years and then you know at that point people were missing the dead man so uh they were excited for him to return so i think taker was a good he was very good at evolving um, i feel as though the the look of the american badass character was probably probably the best look that the undertaker had because if you you can imagine walking down a dark alley and then you see this six foot ten guy dressed in all leather and sunglasses with a long ass ponytail and you're like yeah i'm getting the fuck out of here so i i actually have a I actually have a feeling that probably the American badass undertaker was a little bit more intimidating than the dead man undertaker because that really had a sense of realism. That was more of Mark Calloway being a legitimate badass rather than trying to portray some type of devil knockoff. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see where you're coming from and I would love to agree with you, but a seven year old hardest part of the ring would uh, have to check his closet for the undertaker before he went to bed. So I can't really say that American badass is more intimidating to me. See, Um, like here's, here's the thing. The thing is like, I was nine when I first started watching and the undertaker was my favorite character. I don't know what it is, but I was never legitimately scared of the dead man undertaker. I, I, I only wanted to, I only wanted to meet, to meet the dead man undertaker. I'm not, I'm not sure what it was. Well, one thing you're forgetting is that I'm a pussy, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) a minor detail. Minor detail right there. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Him abducting Stephanie McMahon, that image, for whatever reason, is what I always like saw in my nightmares. And I thought, oh that's my God. That, that line alone just made me coming on this podcast one. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, like I said, dude, I had to ch- always check my closet under my bed because who knows, he's just going to pop out and tombstone me. I don't, I don't know what the fuck I thought it was going to happen. But um, but yeah, American Badass Undertaker, I could definitely, definitely appreciate it. Um, you better toughen up for when I have you on my channel. <laughs> yeah, it was Undertaker, Kane, and Gold Dust for whatever reason I was petrified of. Gold Dust? <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm still afraid of him, but for very different reasons. Um, well, yeah, yeah, because like even at fifty, he's in better shape than both of us. Exactly. <laughs> I want. Um, where's the Fountain of Youth? Please, please, Dustin Rhodes, if you're listening to this, guide me to the Fountain of Youth. I want to be in that good of shape at fifty. Guy's dude. doing fucking Canadian destroyers at fifty. And you see him because he's not. I don't think he's with the company at this point. But he was there maybe like a year or two before. And man, seeing him wrestle then and seeing him wrestle now, it's like night and day. He's, exactly because now he's allowed to go now he's actually allowed to go out there and wrestle yeah 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 i guess he has to rely less on the character and more on his uh his wrestling but whatever it is um i mean like, i don't even, i don't even think that he does need to specifically rely on his character anymore because he's pretty much run run the character into the ground for however many years he's been doing it now he's in the pretty much the last stages of his career where he's pretty much going to be, he's pretty much either going to be just a manager or he, when he wrestles, he's going to be putting people over. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think Goldust was. I think that that ran its course a long time ago. Um, oh, absolutely. And I kind of like what he's doing. It's kind of there's some you know homages to it with the face paint and all that, but all in all, he's kind of his own person. Yeah, that's what I feel. Like. That's what I feel as though he was kind of going for that right there is like the homage to it, but it brings a different type of intensity to Dustin Rhodes himself. When you yeah. take a look at him in the ring and you see how he's moving and you see the, the overall presentation that he has put himself out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of off topic too, but I just uh, watched a WCW spring stampede from 1994 and uh, Dustin Rhodes was on that show and he was like probably the most over guy on the entire card. So I'm surprised that they kind of had to rely on, and I guess the Gold Dust character, all in all, was a success for what it was for the time period that it was in. But um, yeah, I just yeah, I never... it, it really it really overstayed its welcome pretty much after the Attitude Era. Yeah, I think it it fit perfectly in that era, that late '90s era. But after that, although I did enjoy some of the stuff he did with Booker T, like in 2002. Um, no, no, that 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 too. That was that was very that was actually very good, and that was um that was a great uh, a great period to um pretty much give us a Heath Slater and Rhino storyline before Heath Slater and Rhino were a thing. No. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but yeah. Uh, so where were we? Undertaker and Stone Cold. I don't know how we got on this gold dust tangent, but, uh, Undertaker and Stone Cold. Um, so the end of this match comes, uh, that was a really weird ending. Um, so Undertaker goes for, uh, or he, sorry, he hits Stone Cold with a choke slam and a bunch of chair shots. Uh, Triple H runs in, much like Stone Cold did earlier in this match. Um, gets hit in the head with a chair right away. Undertaker's going crazy, hitting everybody with chairs. Goes for the pin on Stone Cold, and that pin attempt is broken up by Vince McMahon. Um, Taker's pissed, but uh, I think he—I forget, forget what exactly. That probably just beats the shit out of Vince and throws him out of the ring. Um, he does, but Taker looked like an idiot in that regard. And you know who else looked like an idiot? Kane, because he came out way too fucking late. Well, that's what I'm saying. Because like, so Taker goes for the last ride, and then uh, Triple H hits him with a sledgehammer, and then like as Stone Cold is pinning him, 
is that that's when Kane comes out and then the pinfall happens like as his music's playing. So like the, like the crowd didn't even realize that it happened. It was really deflating. I don't know if that's how it was designed or if the timing was off or what it was, but just a really weird ending. Um, and here's a question I actually want to ask, even though Kane won the intercontinental championship, where was undertaker when stone cold came out to a triple H during that match? Why did Kane come out so late? Yeah. Like there's two logic gaps right there. Even even in 2001, WWE still with the logic gaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about maybe the potential of planting the seeds for Triple H versus Stone Cold, but I'm also I'm almost, I'm almost wondering like, were they doing the same with Taker and Kane? I mean, ultimately they didn't do that. I don't know if that's if Triple H's injury had anything to do with it, but because um, Taker and Kane kept teaming together for a couple months after this, it's um, a poss- it's a possibility, but I don't think it was. I don't think it was completely. Yeah. I don't think it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it was. Um, I don't think it was written in the plans. I think this was just something that that kind of went over WWE's heads, and they didn't even they didn't even attempt to rectify it. But I, I don't really know. But it was it was great. It was a great match, nonetheless. Great match, nonetheless. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the the ending it was just it was just illogical as shit. Like if you wanted to have Stone Cold retain, but Triple H lose, then if Stone Cold was going to come out, then you should have had the Undertaker come out as well. And yeah. then, then you could have had Kane win. And then, if you still wanted to have uh, Stone Cold retain, then Kane could have Kane could have come out to attack Triple H. But Stone Cold still could have retained anyway. And then, obviously, they could have set up um, they could have set up Stone Cold and Triple H at SummerSlam. But obviously, that didn't happen because uh, old Hunter Hearst Helmsley tore his quadricep. That pesky quad gets you every time. And pesky um, quad right off the bone. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost like literally you could have done the same thing at this match, but just have like Kane come out and take out Vince like after he uh, broke up the yeah, pin. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that way the Undertaker doesn't look like an idiot. Exactly. So you know, Kane's fighting off Vince and Triple H, so he's distracted and then could have done like the exact same thing just without the weird pinfall during the music and the fire and all that. Um, a little, a little, a little, um, little side note here. The concept of mid-match interferences and distractions, it really is such an outdated concept in the landscape of professional wrestling, and it really does hamper a match down. Like, it, it makes, first off, it makes it makes the, the wrestler that's getting distracted look like a complete idiot. And I said this in one of my Lightning Flash updates, when Sasha Banks won the Raw Women's Championship, that was a great match, great match, but the, sh- but the ending was complete dog shit. Because Asuka was focused on helping her friend Kyrie Sane instead of focusing on a championship. And I said this, and I quote, Asuka looked as dumb as a three-year-old in pre-K eating pencil shavings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't really have much of a thought on that just because, I don't know. I, I, it's I such think, a tired concept. Yeah. I, I, They really need to get rid of the mid-match distract. If there's one thing, especially in... In the major companies like Impact and All Elite Wrestling and World Wrestling Entertainment, the major companies need to abolish these mid-match distractions. <laughs> or if you want to have an interference, then don't have one of the people in the matches look like a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it makes sense when it's um, like in the context of like say like you're, it's an Adam Cole match. Like take uh, Adam Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa, the undisputed era gets involved, but they get physically involved. They don't just it's not like they're music. Exactly. Hits, exactly. You take a look at that. And at, at least, at least 
if you want to have him distract someone, then distract the ref because, like, who fucking cares about the ref? Ref refs exactly. always look like idiots anyway. <laughs> yeah, actually, like, yeah, they do get physically involved. You're right. That would actually make a hell of a lot more sense, and that would actually add a lot more to the match itself. Right, because you have no choice but to fight these guys off because they're in there and they're going to stop you. From exactly. Doing what you're but, but you don't have to focus on them when they're when they're just talking to you and they're trying to have a fucking therapy session. I mentioned this like on one of my previous podcasts, but when uh, this is Money in the Bank, it was either a year or two years ago when Mustafa Ali was on the top of the ladder. He had the briefcase and his a year fucking ago. hand. Yeah, a year ago. And then Brock Lesnar's music hits and he just fucking freezes. Exactly <laughs> the same. It's the same exact thing. I, I, I really got none. Yeah, Brock Brock shouldn't have even have walked out of Money in the Bank with the with the briefcase. But regardless, yeah, Mustafa looked like a complete idiot. Yeah. They have really they've really fucked over Ali more times than not. Yeah, um, that's the most egregious example I can think of. That um, although it gave us Brock party, so I can't be too mad. Um, it was terrible, dude. It was <laughs> terrible. You, you didn't buy one of a Brock. You didn't buy a Brock party uh, briefcase with the little speakers on the side. No, I did not buy a Brock Party briefcase. The Brock Lesnar literally made a mockery out of not one but both world championships because he'd rather he'd rather he'd rather dance to party rock anthem and start shuffling. <laughs> Man, you don't you don't like how he didn't know the rules to Money in the Bank either. He didn't know he had a year. Dude, to catch oh it my in. god, dude, dude, with Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman. And you know what? I, I don't even I don't even blame him. He doesn't even watch the show because they're terrible. So Paul Heyman. <laughs> Paul Heyman's reading it, and he's and Brock's like, "Wait a minute, I got a year to cash in." And he's like, "Yeah, I didn't know. How did you not know?" Oh, God, <laughs> I mean, like he he is a he is a dumb jock in that case. <laughs> I don't even know when did he cash it. Was it that SummerSlam match against Roman? Is that when no, he no, in? no, no? It was not the SummerSlam match against Roman. That was in 2018. He won it last year in 2019. He actually cashed in at Extreme Rules. 2019 and i was there in the crowd in philadelphia when he did it oh shit that's right i totally forgot about that i was there i actually i had it's actually uh in a vlog video up on my channel you'll see it man yeah i remember (laughs) i uh, yeah all i remember is baron corbin beating the shit out of becky lynch which is great Oh, he, uh, he he didn't beat the shit out of her. He just gave her an end of days, and then Seth Rollins went ape shit on him with a kendo stick, I'll a chair, it. and then and then three stomps. Yeah, that match is kind of underrated, in my opinion. We're kind of on a tangent match, here, but yeah, that, I kind of like that match. Yeah, that that match itself, the main event of that show, wasn't necessarily a bad match, but ultimately that show that show all in all sucked. It was probably like a uh, a, a five match show, if we're going to be quite honest with you. It started out decent. I'm not going to lie. It actually started out decent, but like everything WWE main roster, it starts out decent and then takes a nosedive into a pile of pig shit. Dude, I couldn't tell you one other match on that show. But yeah, anyways, Judgment Day 2001 on a scale of 1 to 10. What do you give it? I'd probably give it like a 5.5, maybe a 6. It was decent, good, Mm -hmm. but again, just a three-match show all in all. Yeah, yeah, I would say the same. I was, I was thinking of six myself. It kind of felt like a transition pay per view. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't remember this pay per view at all happening, um, and I can kind of see why. There's nothing really that uh, that vital in the show that happened, but I guess it's kind of set up what they had planned after this. But then after this, we got King of One the Ring. One thing that I really wish, 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, true, true, true. One thing that I really wish they would do is I really wish they wouldn't just use certain pay-per-views as transition shows. That's really why you have weekly shows to begin with. Mm-hmm. I, I really wish that they would really make the pay-per-views in itself a like a, 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 a genuine spectacle rather than just having them having some of them be transition pay-per-views and then others be the major pay-per-views. Like I understand if you're trying to build towards SummerSlam or WrestleMania, but if you got in between pay-per-views, you got to make them feel special as well. Cause uh-huh. if you don't, then why are, why do you even have them to begin with? Exactly. Decent yeah. show, but, but really nothing special. Yeah. I've always been of the mindset that um, it's better to have less pay-per-views and save uh, you can just have bigger TV shows in between as opposed to just these little mini pay-per-views. So it makes your TV show a must-see program instead of just a pay-per-view every three or four weeks. Well, here's the thing. I don't mind one pay-per-view every month. I really don't mind that. But if you're going to have a pay-per-view every month, then you better fucking operate with a sense of urgency when you're when you're building towards these shows. Because if you don't, then you're going to end up getting lackluster pay-per-views. And look at what we've got with the WWE main roster schedule. I mean, we've only had two two decent pay-per-views on the main roster this year, and that was the Royal Rumble and Money in the Bank. Outside of that, every other pay-per-view has been shit outside of a few matches. Yeah, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I read somewhere that they're adding payback. Like, Yes, yes, they are. They're, they are adding payback literally a week after SummerSlam on August right. 30th, and I actually have someone set for the rundown for payback. Um, for those of you out there listening, Gamers Goon, from Chicago, he is going to be coming on my channel for the rundown for payback. That's scheduled for August twenty eighth, as we speak. A little cheap plug there. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. Um, yeah, man, check that out. I'm sure it'll be a, a doozy of an episode. I don't know what they have planned for payback, but I'm sure it'll be rushed and lackluster. Um, yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. Any other thoughts on uh, Judgment Day or uh, anything else? You want to you want to promote? Well, uh, we uh, pretty much ran through everything regarding Judgment Day 2001, but um, I'm going to first first off say I greatly appreciate the opportunity to appear on Apron Bump podcast. I greatly appreciate it. I hope to do it again one day. We're definitely going to get you on my channel. But for those of you out there listening. Ladies and gentlemen, you can follow me on Twitter at HistoryMakerDJS. Follow me on Instagram and Periscope at DDJStorms. Add me on Facebook as well, Dominic Sparacia. For collaborations and business inquiries, please send me an email. My email is StormsTakeover at gmail.com. Like the official DJ Storms business page. And I may just send you an invite to join the official DJ Storms posse group on Facebook. Go and check me out on YouTube. Can't miss me. DJ Storms on YouTube. And when you like my videos... When you hit that thumbs up, you got to comment down below because it sparks up the conversation. And when you comment down below, you got to hit that subscribe button. Trying to grow here. Hell yeah. And when you hit that subscribe button, you got to hit the notifications bell with a huge coup de gras. That way you will know whenever I pop up on YouTube. Because whenever I, whenever, I, whenever I pop up on YouTube, I, uh, I butchered that. But whenever I pop <laughs> up on YouTube, it is the best time to be on YouTube. Hardest part of the ring. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. All the best. Thank you. You as well. Once again, thank you to DJ Storms for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, Had a fun, fun discussion about Judgment Day 2001 and some other weird tangents that we got on there. But (laughs) 
whatever the case may be, I had a fun time. Uh, DJ is a smart guy. He has a really good channel over there at YouTube. Um, I, I, I planned for this outro to fucking promote him, but I think he just did a better job than I could have ever done. So all of his information, like I said, in the description below. Also, hey, by the way, won't you follow me too on all social medias at Apron Bump? Um, I actually just launched a new website, apronbump.com. Um, it's pretty basic at this point. Uh, if you go to it, you, you can uh, subscribe to any of the platforms that I'm on, see all my episodes, all my uh, all my social medias there. You can click one click and follow me. Um, but I basically have it set up for uh, some future ideas that I have. Yeah, I might add, you know, a Patreon or a merch store eventually. But I also have uh, some other some other ideas as far as where to take this podcast in the future. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe. Give this episode a, a five star rating. You know it's fucking five stars. Don't you lie to me. Give me a tasty, delicious review. And uh, yeah, it's about all I got for you guys today. Thank you once again for listening. I appreciate all of you. I am hard.